Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today we're going to read from the JCAM. I'm hoping to get all the way through Article 36 today. It'll be Articles 30 through 36. Most of them are very short, and the important thing is that after Article 36, we skip all the way to Article 41, which is the one that covers letter carriers, and that one's really long. That's going to be a project that is going to be split into multiple parts but it's going to be super informative. So partly I want to save up to, um, to be able to do that. Well, no, really I'm in a hurry to get to it because I personally want to read it and learn all the stuff that's in article 41, but I can't do that without doing this first. So let's get to it. Article 30 is local implementation. Article 30 of The national agreement enables the local parties to negotiate over certain work rules and other terms and conditions of employment. Since the start of full postal collective bargaining in 1971, most of letter carriers' contractual rights and benefits have been negotiated at the national level. However, some subjects have been left to the local parties to work out according to their own preferences and particular circumstances. A period of local implementation has followed the completion of each national agreement. 30.A A. Presently effective local memorandum of understanding not inconsistent or in conflict with the 2019 National Agreement shall remain in effect during the term of this agreement unless changed by mutual agreement pursuant to the local implementation procedure set forth below or as a result of an arbitration award or settlement arising from either party's impasse of an item from the presently effective local memorandum of understanding, LMOU. Local Memorandum of Understanding, LMOU. Local implementation procedures result in the execution of an LMOU, a locally enforceable agreement between the NALC and the Postal Service. Article 30.A provides that a currently effective LMOU remains in effect during the term of the new national agreement unless the parties change it through subsequent local implementation or the related impasse procedures. It states that the rule that no provision of an LMOU may be, quote, inconsistent or in conflict, end quote, with the national agreement. Oh, it states the rule that no provision can be inconsistent or in conflict. This means that an LMOU may add to the national agreement's rules, but may not contradict them. An LMOU may not, for example, alter the Article 9 wage provisions or the Article 8 overtime rules. See the discussion under the National Memorandum of Understanding on Local Implementation below concerning claims that an LMOU provision is inconsistent or in conflict with the national agreement. As indicated in Items 6 and 7 of the MOU, the party's rights to challenge provisions as inconsistent or in conflict are limited. 30.B. B. There shall be a 30-day period of local implementation to commence April 29, 2021 on the 22 specific items enumerated below, provided that no LMOU may be inconsistent with or vary the terms of the 2019 National Agreement. 30-day period. Local negotiations take place during a 30-day local implementation period following the completion of each national agreement. National Arbitrator Mittenthal held in blah 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 that, quote, the local parties may not negotiate wholesale changes to local memorandums of understanding except during the 30-day period provided by Article 30, end quote. The 22 Items Article 30.B lists 22 items which the parties may discuss during the period of local implementation. 
the local parties are required to discuss any of these items if they are raised by either party. That means that if one party raises one of the listed items, the other must discuss it in good faith. These are mandatory subjects of discussion if raised during the period of local implementation. The local parties are free to discuss other subject areas as well, but neither party is required to discuss subjects other than the 22 items listed in Article 30.B. 30.B.1 1. Additional or longer wash-up periods. Article 8. See the discussion of Article 30.B.1 under Article 8.9. 2. The establishment of a regular work week of five days with either fixed or rotating days off. Article 41. See the discussion of Article 30.B.2 under Article 41.1.A.3. 3. Guidelines for the curtailment or termination of postal operations to conform to orders of local authorities or as local conditions warrant because of emergency situations. Article 3. See the discussion of Article 30.B.3 under Article 3.F. 4. Formulation of local leave programs. 5. The duration of choice vacation periods. 6. The determination of the beginning day of an employee's vacation period. 7. Whether employees, at their option, may request two selections during the choice vacation period in units of either 5 or 10 days. 8. Whether jury duty and attendance at national or state conventions shall be charged to the choice vacation period. 9. Determination of the maximum number of employees who shall receive leave each week during the choice vacation period. 10. The issuance of official notices to each employee of the vacation schedule approved for such employee. 11. Determination of the date and means of notifying employees of the beginning of the new leave year. 12. The procedures for submission of applications for annual leave during other than the choice vacation period. Article 10. See the discussion of Article 30.B.4-12, 30.B.4-12 as well as Article 30.B.20 under Article 10. In any office that does not have provisions in its current LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs, the parties agree that during the 2021 local implementation period, the local parties will, consistent with the needs of, the, of employees and the needs of management, include provisions into the LMOU to permit city carrier-assisted employees to be granted annual leave for selections during the choice vacation period and for incidental leave. Granting leave under such, convi- uh, under such provisions must be contingent upon the employee having a sufficient leave balance when the leave is taken. 30.B.13 13. The method of selecting employees to work on a holiday. Article 11. See the discussion of Article 30.B.13 under Article 11.6. The local memorandum of understanding may contain a local pecking order for selecting employees, including city carrier assistant employees, to work on a holiday. In the absence of LMOU provisions or a past practice concerning holiday assignments, city carrier assistant employees are included in the default pecking order, CJ Camp page 11-4. 14. Whether overtime desired lists in Article 8 shall be by section and or tour. Article 8. See the discussion of Article 30.B.14 under Article 8.5.B. 15. The number of light duty assignments within each craft or occupational group 
to be reserved for temporary or permanent light duty assignment. 16. The method to be used in reserving light duty assignments so that no regularly assigned member of the regular workforce will be adversely affected. 17. The identification of assignments that are to be considered light duty within each craft represented in the office. Article 13. See the discussion of Article 30.B.15, 30.B.16, and 30.B.17 under Article 13.3.A and 13.3.C. 18. The identification of assignments comprising a section when it is proposed to reassign within an installation employees access to the needs of a section. Article 12. See discussion of Article 30.B.18 under Article 12.5.C.4. 19. The assignment of employee parking spaces. Article 20. See the discussion of Article 30.19.B under Article 20. 20. The determination as to whether annual leave to attend union activities requested prior to determination of the choice vacation schedule is to be part of the total choice vacation plan. Article 10. See the discussion of Article 30.B.20 as well as leave-related Article 30.B.4-12 through 12 under Article 10. 21. Those other items which are, which are subject to local negotiations as provided in the craft provisions of this agreement. 22. Local implementation of this agreement relating to seniority, reassignments, and posting. Articles 41 and 12. See the discussion under Article 30.B.21 and 22 under Article 41.1.8.3, 41.1.8.5, 41.1.B.2, 41.1.B.3, 41.1.C.4, 41.3.0, and Article 12.5.C.4. 30.C. C. All proposals remaining in dispute may be submitted to final and binding arbitration with the written authorization of the National Union President or the Vice President Labor Relations. The request for arbitration must be submitted within 10 days of the end of the local implementation period. However, where there is no agreement and the matter is not referred to arbitration, the provisions of the former LMOU shall apply. The parties may challenge a provision of an LMOU as inconsistent or in conflict with the national agreement only under the following circumstances. 1. Any LMOU provisions added or modified during one local implementation period may be challenged as inconsistent or in conflict with the national agreement only during the local implementation period of the successor national agreement. 2. At any time, a provision of an LMOU becomes inconsistent or in conflict as the result of a new or modified provision of the national agreement. 3. At any time a provision of an LMOU becomes inconsistent or in conflict as a result of the amendment or modification of the national agreement subsequent to the local implementation period. In such case, the party declaring a provision inconsistent or in conflict must provide the other party a detailed, written explanation of its position during the period of local implementation, but no later than seven days prior to the expiration of that period. If the local parties are unable to resolve the issue during the period of local implementation, the union may appeal the impasse to arbitration pursuant to the procedures outlined above. If appealed, a provision of an LMOU declared inconsistent or in conflict with will remain in effect unless modified or eliminated through arbitration decision or by mutual agreement. See memo page 219. Impasses. Certain subjects of local implementation may be impassed. That is, 
when an impasse, a failure to reach an agreement in local negotiations, occurs, the union or management may appeal the dispute for resolution in final and binding arbitration subject to certain rules. Rules on which sorts of proposals may be impassed are set forth under Article 30.F. The detailed rules for processing impasses are contained in a National Memorandum of Understanding on Local Implementation below. Note that the time limits in the memorandum supersede the time limits specified in Article 30.C. D. An allegation uh, or an alleged violation of the terms of an LMOU shall be, shall be subject to the grievance arbitration procedure. An LMOU is enforceable. After the LMOU is negotiated and signed, all of its provisions may be enforced through the grievance procedure. Both those provisions within the 22 items and those... Let me just read that again. An LMOU is enforceable. After the LMOU is negotiated and signed, all of its provisions may be enforced through the grievance arbitration all of its provisions may be enforced through the grievance procedure, both those provisions within the 22 items and those outside the 22 items. That's better. E. When installations are consolidated or when a new installation is established, the party shall conduct a 30-day period of local implementation pursuant to Section B. All proposals remaining in dispute may be submitted to final and binding arbitration with the written authorization of the National Union President or the Vice President Labor Relations. The request for arbitration must be submitted within 10 days of the end of the local implementation period. New or Consolidated Installations Article 30.E provides for a new period of local implementation upon the consolidation of installations or the creation of a new one. F. Where the Postal Service, pursuant to Section C, submits a proposal remaining in dispute to arbitration, which proposal seeks to change a presently effective LMOU, the Postal Service shall have the burden of establishing that continuation of the existing provision would represent an unreasonable burden to the USPS. See memo page 138. What may be impassed? The interest arbitrator who determined the provisions of the 1994 National Agreement imposed certain changes in the impasse rules for local implementation. Under those changed rules, management gained a limited right to bring any of the 22 listed bargaining items to impasse. The rules are, in short, either party may impasse an item. Only a subject within Article, 30, Article 30's 22 items may be impassed. Where management submits a proposal to arbitration to change an existing local memo provision, it has the burden of establishing that continuation of the existing provision would represent an unreasonable burden to the Postal Service. There is no such burden on the union when it seeks to change a local memorandum. National Arbitrator Mittenthal, in decision blah blah blah, ruled that management may not impasse a subject that is outside the 22 items. And here we have a memo between the USPS and the NALC regarding local implementation. It is hereby agreed by the United States Postal Service and the NALC that the following procedures will apply to the implementation of Article 30 during the 2019 local implementation period. 1. 2019 local implementation will commence on April 29, 2021 and terminate on May 28, 2021. 2. In the event that any issues remain in dispute at the end of the 30-day local implementation period, each party shall identify such issues in writing. Initialed copies of this written statement and copies of all proposals and counterproposals pertinent to the issues in dispute will be furnished by, by the appropriate local party 
to the appropriate management official at the Labor Relations Service Center with copies to the postmaster and the union's regional representative within 15 days of the expiration of the local implementation period. Inclusion of any matter in the written statement does not necessarily reflect the agreement of either of the parties that such matter is properly subject to local implementation. 3. The representative of the employer and the union's regional representative shall attempt to resolve matters in dispute within 75 days after the expiration of the local implementation period. The representatives of both the union and the employer will have full authority to resolve all issues still in dispute. 4. If the parties identified above are unable to reach agreement by the end of the 75-day period provided for above, the issues may be appealed to final and binding arbitration by the National Union President or the Vice President Labor Relations within 21 days of the end of the 75-day period. 5. Where there is no agreement and the matter is not referred to the Labor Relations Service Center or to arbitration, the provisions, if any, of the former local memorandum of understanding shall apply. LMOU uh, 6. LMOU items existing prior to the 2016 local implementation period may not be challenged as inconsistent or in conflict unless already subject to a pending arbitration appeal. The parties may challenge an LMOU item added or modified during a national agreement's local implementation period as inconsistent or in conflict only during the period of local implementation of the successor national agreement. 7. The national parties will establish an impasse arbitration panel in each area for all management and union impasse items appealed to final and binding arbitration pursuant to paragraph 4 above. A sufficient number of arbitrators will be selected so that all such appeals will be scheduled and heard within 120 days of receipt of the appeal to arbitration. In those areas where the impasse backlog will not allow the parties to meet these time limits, it is understood that steps will be taken to process them as expeditiously as possible. Impasse appeals addressing whether an item is inconsistent or in conflict will be scheduled prior to unreasonable burden cases. Impasse Procedures The MOU above, which has been updated in successive national agreements, sets forth the procedural rules for handling impasses from local implementation. Where the parties do not reach agreement on a subject or subjects, the impasse is submitted to higher levels of the NALC and Postal Service for settlement discussions. If the settlement discussions are not successful, the matter may be taken before a neutral arbitrator. The arbitrator hears evidence from both sides and decides what the language of the disputed LMOU provision will be. The resulting arbitration award is final and binding. Inconsistent or in conflict. LMOUs must agree with the national agreement. That is, no LMOU provision may be inconsistent or in conflict with the national agreement. However, the 2001 national agreement contained new language in Article 30.C and the Article 30 memorandum, which now limits the party's rights to challenge existing LMOU provisions on the grounds that they are inconsistent or in conflict with the national agreement. Under the current rules, LMOU items existing prior to the 2019 local implementation period may not be challenged as inconsistent or in conflict unless one of the following conditions was met. 1. The provision was already subject to a pending arbitration appeal as of March 8, 2021. 2. The provision becomes inconsistent or in conflict as a result of a new or modified provision of the national agreement. 3. The provision becomes inconsistent or in conflict as a result of an amendment or a modification of the national agreement after the implementation period. However, challenges under Article 30.C.2 or 30.C.3 or 30.C.3 
must be made during the local implementation period following the change to the national agreement. LMOU items added or modified during the 2021 local implementation will not be subject to challenge on the grounds they are inconsistent or in conflict with the national agreement except as a result of new or modified provisions of the national agreement until the period of local implementation of the 2023 national agreement. Next, we have another memo regarding CCA annual leave. Article 30 of the National Agreement and Local Memorandum of Understanding, LMOU provisions, do not apply to city carrier assistant employees except as follows. In any office that does not have provisions in its current LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs, the parties agree that, during the 2021 local implementation period, the local parties will, consistent with the needs of employees and the needs of management, include provisions into the LMOU to permit city carrier assistant employees to be granted annual leave selection during the choice vacation period and for incidental leave. Granting leave under such provisions must be contingent upon the employee having a sufficient leave balance when the leave is taken. In the event a proposal on this subject is appealed through the Article 30 impasse procedure, prior to a request for arbitration, such disputes will be referred to an alternate dispute resolution team established by the national parties. The expectation is that the ADR team will reach an agreement that will allow city carrier assistants to plan for leave use while accounting for city carrier assistant absences, including during scheduled five-day service breaks. Any office that currently has provisions in its LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs will continue such provisions, unless modified during the upcoming local implementation period. Any impasses that arrive, arise under this paragraph will be processed in accordance with Article 30 of the National Agreement. And here we have the final memo in this article regarding arbitration scheduling procedures, LMOU. The parties agree to the following concerning the scheduling of local memorandum of understanding impasse arbitration cases during the term of this agreement. 1. LMOU impasses from each installation will be heard by the same arbitrator. 2. It is expected that multiple impasse items from an LMOU will be heard on each arbitration date. This agreement expires with the 2019 Collective Bargaining Agreement. I want to step back here for a sec to talk about that. So, you guys are all well aware that as I'm recording this, we are still in contract negotiations that are now well past um, the expiration of the current contract. And the new contract will, by its very nature, have new provisions. But as I understand it, most of what's in the JCAM doesn't change. So what I plan to do is keep reading this until we get a new contract. And then when we get the new contract, I'll read the new JCAM when it becomes available. If, um, if it comes out before I finish reading the contract and then I'll go back and go through any changes that, that may be reflected by the new negotiation. But most of this language is going to stand and knowing the contract now is useful. Uh, even though we'll have a new contract coming because again, most of this is not going to change like article 31. I don't really expect anything in here to change, but who knows? Article 31 is on union management cooperation. 31.1, Section 1, Membership Solicitation. The union may, through employees employed by the employer, solicit employees for membership in the union and receive union dues from employees in non-work areas of the employer's premises, provided such activity is carried out in a manner which does not interfere with the orderly conduct of the employer's operation. 
organizing and dues collection on postal premises. Article 31.1 gives NALC representatives the right to engage in membership organizing and to collect dues from members in non-work areas of postal facilities. Article or 31.2, Section 2, Computer Tapes. The employer shall, on a bi-weekly basis, to pr- the employer shall, on a bi-weekly basis, provide the union at its national headquarters the information set forth in the Memorandum of Understanding regarding Article 31, encrypted slash password protected electronic file exchange. If electronic file exchange is unavailable, the information will be provided by DISC. Bargaining unit information. Article 31.2 supplemented by the more specific description of information in the Memorandum of Understanding on Bargaining Information requires the Postal Service to provide detailed information about each member of the Letter Carrier Bargaining Unit represented by the NALC. The NALC uses this information to conduct its representative functions and administer its membership information system. 31.3 Section 3 Information the employer will make available for inspection by the union all relevant information necessary for collective bargaining or the enforcement, administration, and interpretation of this agreement, including information necessary to determine whether to file or to continue the process of a grievance under this agreement. Upon the request of the union, the employer will furnish such information provided... Uh, Upon the request of the union, the employer will furnish such information, provided, however, that the employer may require the union to reimburse the USPS for any costs reasonably incurred in obtaining the information. Requests for information relating to purely local matters should be submitted by the local union representative to the installation head or designee. All other requests for information shall be directed by the national president of the union to the vice president labor relations. Nothing herein shall waive any rights the union may have to obtain information under the National Labor Relations Act as amended. The preceding article, Article 31, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. Information. Article 31.3 provides that the Postal Service will make available to the union all relevant information necessary collective bargaining or the enforcement, administration, or interpretation of the agreement including information necessary to determine whether to file or to continue the processing of a grievance. It also recognizes the union's legal right to employer information under the National Labor Relations Act. Examples of types of information covered by this provision include attendance records, payroll records, documents in an employee's official personnel file, internal USPS instructions and memorandums, disciplinary records, route inspection records, customer complaints, handbooks and manuals, photographs, reports and studies, seniority lists, overtime desired and work assignment lists, bidding records, wage and salary records, training manuals, postal inspection service investigative memoranda, IM, Office of the Inspector General Reports of Investigation, ROI, To obtain employer information, the union need only give a reasonable description of what it needs and make a reasonable claim that the information is needed to enforce or administer the contract. The union must have a reason for seeking the information. It cannot conduct a fishing expedition into Postal Service records. Settlements and arbitration awards have addressed the union's entitlement to information in certain specific areas. For example, the union has a right to any and all information which the employer has relied upon to support its position in a grievance. And there's a citation here. Note that the union 
also has an obligation to provide the Postal Service with information it relies upon in a grievance, Article 15. The union is also entitled to medical records necessary to investigate or process a grievance, even without an employee's authorization, as provided for in Handbook AS-353, Guide to Privacy, the Freedom of Information the Freedom of Information Act, and Records Management, and by Article 17 and 31 of the National Agreement. If if requests for copies are part of the information request, then USPS must provide the copies. And there's a citation here. A national pre-arbitration settlement established that if the union provides the Postal Service with a list of officers and stewards, the Postal Service must indicate which, if any, applied for a supervisory position within the previous two years. There's a citation here. When the union is provided with information, for example medical records, it is subject to the same rules of confidentiality as the Postal Service. Cost. The costs which management may charge the NALC provided for providing information are governed by Handbook AS-353, Guide to Privacy, the Freedom of Information Act, and Records Management, Section 4-4.13. While following Step 4 resolutions, while the... Dude, why am I struggling with this? While the following Step 4 resolutions cite the ASM, they are applicable to the AS-353. And there's some citations here. Currently, the AS-353, Section 4-4.13, provides for a waiver of information fees for, one, the first 100 pages of duplication, currently 15 cents per page, two, the first two hours of manual search time, and three, the first two hours of computer search time. Furthermore, this section also provides that if the fee does not exceed $25, there is no charge for the information. Additionally, the parties have agreed that if search fees apply to information requests from the union pursuant to Handbook AS-353, Section 4-6.5, and the, quote, computer personnel, end quote, cost involves, quote, operator time, end quote, and the, you know, I'm not going to bother with these quotes. If, uh, if management asks the union for information and the computer personnel cost involves operator time and the computer processing is PC usage, the Postal Service will not charge the union at the higher computer personnel or computer processing rate only because the PC reads stored data from a mainframe computer. And there's a citation here. Dude, if you want to read it, have fun. Next, uh, here's another memorandum regarding bargaining information. Pursuant to the provisions of Article 31 of the National Agreement between the United States Postal Service and the National Association of Letter Carriers, AFL-CIO, the employer shall, on a bi-weekly basis, provide the union with the following information on those in the city letter carrier bargaining unit by either encrypted-slash-password-protected electronic file exchange. If electronic file exchange is unavailable, the information will be provided by disk. And there's a list of 36 items here that the post office provides on all these carriers. Things like uh, your name, your address, your social security number, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Occupational code. If you want to see the list, it is on page 31-4. And that ends Article 31. Article 32, subcontracting. 32.1.A, Section 1, General Principles. A, the employer will give due consideration to public interest, 
cost, efficiency, availability of equipment, and qualification of employees when evaluating the needs to subcontract. Factors. Article 31 point, or Article 32.1.A sets forth five factors which the employer must give due consideration when evaluating the need to subcontract. 32.1.B. B. The employer will give advance notification to the union at the national level when subcontracting, which will have a significant the employer will give advance notification to the union at the national level when subcontracting, which will have a significant impact on bargaining unit work, is being considered and will meet to consider the union's view on minimizing such impact. No final decision on whether or not such work will be contracted out will be made until the matter is discussed with the union. Notification and Consultation Article 32.1.B provides that the Postal Service will provide advance notice to the NALC at the national level when subcontracting is being considered, quote, which will have a significant impact on bargaining unit work, end quote. In those qualifying circumstances in which the impact is significant on the bargaining unit, the Postal Service will meet with the union at the national level to discuss its views on how to minimize the impact prior to making a decision. No decision will be made pending consultation with the union. 32.1.C. C. The employer and the union agree that upon the request of the NALC president, the employer will furnish relevant cost information prior to the commencement or renewal of any contract delivery route which performs service formerly performed in a particular installation by a city letter carrier. The employer's decision as to whether to commence or renew the contract delivery route will be made on a cost-effective basis. Information. When it is... Decided to subcontract pursuant to a local initiative, the NALC national president may request and be provided the relevant cost information upon which the decision to subcontract was made. The request may be made for a new contract or a renewed contract on a route that was formally serviced by the city letter carrier craft. I bet that means formerly serviced. I bet that's a typo. By the city letter carrier craft. Additional information beyond cost information thought by a branch to be relevant and necessary for the processing of agreements on this level of subcontracting initiative should be requested by the local branch authorized to represent the affected delivery unit. It is the responsibility of local management initiating the action to respond to this request. This section also establishes the criterion that the employer's decision is to be made on, quote, a cost-effective basis, end quote. 32.2, Section 2, Joint Committee. A joint committee is established at the national level to study the problems in this area leading towards a meaningful evolutionary approach to the issue of subcontracting. The preceding article, Article 32, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. And here's a memo between the USPS and the NALC regarding Article 32 Committee. The Joint Committee, established pursuant to Article 32.2, shall be tasked with reviewing existing policies and practices concerning the contracting out of mail delivery. The Committee shall seek to develop a meaningful, evolutionary approach to the issue of subcontracting, taking into account the legitimate interests of the parties and relevant public policy considerations. The committee shall have reasonable access to all relevant data maintained by the Postal Service and may seek and obtain data and information from other relevant sources. The parties agree that if the National Rural Letter Carriers Association seeks to participate in the work of the committee, it will be permitted to do so. 
the committee shall complete its study within six months of the ratification of the 2006 National Agreement unless the parties mutually agree to extend this deadline. Pending final resolution of the work of the committee, all grievances pertaining to subcontracting which are pending at the national level shall be held in abeyance. If the work of the committee does not result in a mutually agreeable approach to subcontracting, the union may submit any of its pending national-level grievances pertaining to subcontracting to rights arbitration in accordance with the existing provisions of the national agreement. In addition, beginning with the ratification of the 2006 national agreement, there will be a six-month moratorium on any new subcontracting of delivery in offices in which city letter carriers are currently employed. This moratorium does not include any in-growth or new growth on current rural routes. Contracts in existence as of the date of the execution of this MOU may be maintained or renewed in offices that are not exclusively city delivery. Date September 11, 2007. And here's another memo regarding subcontracting. The substantial changes in workforce and compensation reflected in the 2006 National Agreement have been negotiated by the parties in the spirit of a long-term partnership. Consistent with this basic understanding, the parties have agreed to some restrictions on the subcontracting of letter carrier work. Effective upon ratification of the 2006 National Agreement, there will be a modification to the subcontracting of city deliveries. This modification includes a restriction on contracting out the following. City delivery work at the 3,071 city delivery offices, offices with only city delivery, including new growth and in-growth within those offices. Any existing city delivery in offices other than those referenced above. Any assignments awarded as city delivery by settlement or arbitration of any pending or future grievance. The above restrictions shall be in effect for the duration of the 2019 National Agreement unless extended by mutual agreement. And here's another memo. This one is about subcontracting MOU issues. The parties recognize that in light of continuing changes in technology and the competitive environment in which the Postal Service operates, the employer cannot commit itself to the maintenance of the MOU on subcontracting on an indefinite basis, and reciprocally, the union may seek additional restrictions on subcontracting. Accordingly, while the party's practice has been to keep in place the terms and conditions of the expired contract until a successor agreement is reached voluntarily or by interest arbitration, the Postal Service reserves its rights with regards to not continuing the MOU upon expiration of the national agreement. Likewise, the NALC reserves its rights with regard to such issue. Further, in the event that the parties do not achieve an agreement for modification or extension of the next collective bargaining agreement and the continuation of the MOU on subcontracting is an issue to be resolved in interest arbitration, there shall be no presumption that those restrictions are to be carried forward based upon the fact that the provisions of the MOU on subcontracting have been in effect. The subcontracting modifications provided in the MOU on subcontracting are without prejudice to the positions of the parties with respect to any interpretive issue. Accordingly, the MOU shall not be admissible in any future rights arbitration except to enforce its terms. That ends that memo, and I'm pretty proud of that one because uh, there was a word in here, reciprocally, that I never saw before, and I think I got it right the first try. All right, anyway, I think I got it wrong the second try. That doesn't matter. Moving on. Uh, Another memo between the USPS and the NALC, this one is subcontracting list of 3,071 city delivery offices. 
This will confirm our discussions regarding the Memorandum of Understanding regarding subcontracting included in the tentative agreement. This MOU includes restrictions on contracting out, quote, city delivery work at the 3,071 city delivery offices, offices with only city delivery, end quote. The Postal Service has provided the union with a list of the 3,071 city delivery offices referenced above. However, the parties have not had the opportunity to mutually verify the list's accuracy. Accordingly, the parties agree that they will work together to verify the list's accuracy and will make adjustments to the list if necessary. The parties recognize that this review could result in offices being added to or subtracted from the list. The parties will undertake this review and prepare a final list as soon as practicable after ratification of the tentative agreement. Dated September 11, 2007. After further review by the parties pursuant to the preceding letter of intent regarding MOU regarding subcontracting, list of 3,071 city delivery offices, the following list identifies approximately 3,580 city delivery offices covered by the Memorandum of Understanding regarding subcontracting. This list is intended to represent all city delivery offices, delivery units that have city delivery routes but do not have rural routes, as of September 11, 2007. The parties agreed to discuss and make adjustments to the list, if necessary, consistent with that intent. So now I'm going to read to you all 3,580 offices, starting with Alaska. Anchorage, we have Eastchester, Elmendorf Air Force Base. For, no, I'm not really going to read all these. If you want to see the big old list, it goes from page 32-4, and I'm just going to scroll down here, 32-4, all the way to, scrolling, 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 all the way to page 32-15. So I'm going to skip all that. That ends Article 32, and we're going to go on to Article 33, Promotions. Uh, hopefully this is about like advertising and giving away coupons and stuff, but I bet that's not the kind of promotions they mean. 33.1, Section 1, General Principles. The employer agrees to, pay, to place particular emphasis upon career advancement opportunities. First, opportunity for promotions will be given to qualified career employees. The employer will assist employees to improve their own skills through training and self-help programs and will continue to expand the Postal Employee Development Center concept. Principles. Article 33.1 requires that the Postal Service provide qualified, city, qualified, carry, qualified career employees the opportunity for promotions prior to hiring new employees. Furthermore, this section obligates the Postal Service to assist employees seeking advancement through, the training, through training and self-help programs. 33.2, Section 2, Craft Promotions. When an opportunity for promotion to a craft position exists in an installation, an announcement shall be posted on official bulletin boards soliciting applications from employees of the appropriate craft. Craft employees meeting the qualifications for the position shall be given first consideration. Qualifications shall include, but not be limited to, availability to perform the job, merit, experience, knowledge, and physical ability. Where there are qualified applicants, the best qualified applicant shall be selected. However, if there is no appreciable difference in the qualifications of the best of the qualified applicants and the employer selects from among such applicants, seniority shall be the determining factor. Written examination shall not be controlling in determining qualifications. If no craft employee is selected for the promotion, the employer will solicit applications from all other qualified employees within the installation. 
Promotion of positions enumerated in the craft article of this agreement shall be made in accordance with such article by selection of the senior qualified employee bidding for the position. Craft Promotions The second paragraph of Article 33.2 provides that all letter carrier craft positions must be filled by seniority in accordance with the provisions of Article 41. There are no best qualified positions in the letter carrier craft, so the first paragraph of Section 2 does not apply to the filling of letter carrier craft positions. However, it does apply to letter carriers seeking best qualified positions in other crafts. 33.3, Section 3, Examinations. When an examination is given, there shall be no unreasonable limitation on the number of examinations that may be taken by an applicant. Examinations. Management may not unreasonably limit the number of examinations an employee applicant may take. However, it does not require management to allow employees to take examinations on the clock. And thus ends Article 33. We move on to Article 34, Work and or Time Standards. A. The principle of a fair day's work for a fair day's pay is recognized by all parties to this agreement. B. The employer agrees that any work measurement systems or time or work standards shall be fair, reasonable, and equitable. The employer agrees that the union concerned through qualified representatives... Oh, the employer agrees that the union concerned through qualified representatives will be kept informed during the making of of time or work studies which are to be used as a basis for changing current or instituting new work measurement systems or work time standards. That whole paragraph had no, or that whole sentence had no commas. And, dude, the commas, maybe we should post that as a, uh, an, a, a bargaining point or whatever at the next national convention. Like, there should be a comma committed to go in here and add freaking commas. All right, moving on. The employer agrees that the national president of the union may designate a qualified representative who may enter postal installations for purposes of observing the making of time or work studies, which are to be used as the basis for changing current or instituting new work measurement systems or work or time standards. C. The employer agrees that before changing any current or instituting any new work measurement systems or work or time standards, it will notify the union concerned as far in advance as practicable. When the employer determines the need to implement any new nationally developed and nationally applicable work or time standards, it will first conduct a test or tests of the standards in one or more installations. The employer will notify the union at least 15 days in advance of any such test. D. If such test is deemed by the employer to be satisfactory and subsequently intends to convert the test to live implementation in the test cities, it will notify the union at least 30 days in advance of such, in advance of such intended implementation. Within a reasonable time not to exceed 10 days after the receipt of such notice, representatives of the union and the employer shall meet for the purpose of resolving any differences that may arise concerning such proposed work measurement systems or work or time standards. E. If no agreement is reached within five days after the meetings begin, the union may initiate a grievance at the national level. If no grievance is initiated, the employer will implement the new work or time standards at its discretion. If a grievance is filed and is unresolved within 10 days and the union decides to arbitrate, the matter must be submitted to priority arbitration by the union within five days. The conversion from a test basis to live implementation may proceed in the test cities except as provided in paragraph I. 
F. The arbitrator's award will be issued no later than 60 days after the commencement of the arbitration hearing. During the period prior to the issuance of the arbitrator's award, the new work or time standards will not be implemented beyond the test cities, and no new tests of the new standards will be initiated. Data gathering efforts or work or time studies, however, may be conducted during this period in any installation. G. The issue before the arbitrator will be whether the national concepts involved in the new work or time standards are fair, reasonable, and equitable. H. In the event the arbitrator rules that the national concepts involved in the new work or time standards are not fair, reasonable, and equitable, such standards may not be implemented by the employer until they are modified to comply with the arbitrator's award. In the event the arbitrator rules that the new national concepts or that the national concepts involved in the new work or time standards are fair, reasonable, and equitable, the employer may implement such standards in any installation. No further grievances concerning the national concepts involved may be initiated. I. After receipt of notification provided for in paragraph D of this article, the union shall be permitted through qualified representatives to make time or work studies in the test cities. The union shall notify the employer within 10 days of its intent to conduct such studies. The union shall not exceed 150 days from the date of such notice during which time the employer agrees to postpone implementation in the test cities for the first 90 days. There shall be no disruption of operations or of the work of employees due to the making of such studies. Upon request, the employer will provide reasonable assistance in making the study, provided, however, that the employer may require the union to reimburse the USPS for any costs reasonably incurred in providing such assistance. Upon request, the union representative shall be permitted to examine relevant available technical information, including final data worksheets that were used by the employer in the establishment of the new or changed work or time standards. The employer is to be kept informed during the making of such union studies, and upon employer's request, the employer shall be permitted to examine the relevant available technical information, including final data worksheets relied upon by the union. The preceding article, Article 34, shall apply to city carrier assistance. And next we have Article 35, Employee Assistance Program. 35.1, Section 1, Programs. The employer and the union express strong support for programs of self-help. The employer shall provide and maintain a program which shall encompass the education, identification, referral, guidance, and follow-up of those employees affected by the disease of alcoholism and or drug abuse. When an employee is referred to the EAP by the employer, the EAP staff will have a reasonable period of time to evaluate the employee's progress in the program. This program of labor management cooperation shall support the continuation of the EAP for alcohol, drug abuse, and other family or personal problems at the current level. An employee's voluntary participation in the EAP for assistance with alcohol and or drug abuse will be considered favorably in disciplinary action proceedings. Employee Assistance Program, EAP. Article 35.1 affirms the party's continued joint support for a national program of employee counseling for alcohol or drug abuse, as well as for other types of family or personal problems. EAP provides free, confidential counseling to all postal employees and their family members by trained outside professionals. Confidentiality. Confidentiality is the cornerstone of EAP counseling. EAP EAP counselors are bound by very strict codes of ethics, as well as federal and state laws, requiring that information learned from counseled employees remains private. EAP counselors have licenses and advanced degrees in their fields of expertise. 
management officials and union officials have no right to breach the confidentiality of EAP counseling sessions. What an EAP counselor learns in confidential counseling sessions or other treatment of an employee may be released only with the employee's completely voluntary written consent, except in the limited circumstances provided for in ELM section 944.4. Referral. EAP counselor services are available through voluntary self-referrals to letter carriers and their family members. A management official may also refer an employee to EAP. However, participation is completely voluntary, is entirely voluntary. Currently, the national contract or the national contact number for such self-referrals is 1-800-EAP-4-U or 1-800-327-4968. Additional information is also available at the website www.eap4u.com. That's the number 4. 35.2, Section 2, Joint Committee. For the term of the 2019 National Agreement, the employer and the union agree to establish at the national level a National EAP Committee. The committee will have responsibility for jointly assessing the effectiveness of EAPs operating inside and outside the USPS and for developing an ongoing basis, developing on an ongoing basis the general guidelines with respect to the level of services and the mechanisms by which the services will be provided. The committee is not responsible for day-to-day administration of the program. The committee shall convene at such times and places as it deems appropriate during the term of the 2019 National Agreement. No action or recommendation may be taken by the committee except by consensus of its members. In the event that the members of the committee are unable to agree within a reasonable time on an appropriate course of action with respect to any aspect of its responsibility, the Vice President Labor Relations and the National Union President shall meet to resolve such issues. The committee is authorized to obtain expert advice and assistance to aid its pursuit of its objectives. The apportionment of any fees and expenses for any such experts shall be by consensus of the committee. The employer and the union agree that they will cooperate fully at all levels toward achieving the objectives of the EAP. This joint effort will continue for the term of the 2019 National Agreement. The preceding article, Article 35, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. National EAP Committee. The Joint National EAP Committee oversees the National EAP Program, assessing program effectiveness and providing overall policy guidance. The committee takes action only through a consensus of its members. NALC officials participate in EAP matters at both the national and local levels, Article 35.2. The Joint National EAP Committee administers the EAP at the national level. Within each of the Postal Service's customer service districts, a Joint Labor Management Advisory Committee oversees the process. The committee, which meets at least quarterly, has both union and management representatives. Except in those districts specifically designated by the National EAP Committee, EAP counseling is provided through a contract between the Postal Service and the selected service supplier. And finally, Article 36, the end. Credit unions and travel. 36.1, Section 1, Credit Unions. In the event that the union or its local unions, whether called branches or by other names, presently operate or shall hereafter establish and charter credit unions, the employer shall, without charge, authorize and provide space, if available, for the operation of such credit unions in federal buildings in other than workroom space. 
any postal employee who is an employee of any such credit union or an officer, official, or board member of any such credit union shall, if such employee can be spared, granted annual leave or leave without pay at the option of the employee for up to eight hours daily to perform credit union duties. Section 2. Travel, Subsistence, and Transportation A. The employer shall continue the current travel subsistence and transportation program. B. Employees will be paid a mileage allowance for the use of privately owned automobiles for travel on official business when authorized by the employer equal to the standard mileage rate for use of a privately owned automobile as authorized by the General Services Administration, GSA. Any change in the GSA standard mileage rate for use of privately owned automobile will be put into effect by the employer within 60 days of the effective date of the GSA change. The preceding article, Article 36, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. Credit Unions. Article 36.1 guarantees free space, if available, in federal buildings for branch-operated credit unions. It also guarantees time off up to eight hours daily for a postal employee who is an employee, officer, or board member of a branch-operated credit union. Travel. Article 36.2.A continues the current travel, subsistence, and transportation program, which includes the regulations contained in ELM Section 438 and Handbook F15, Travel and Relocation. Boom, Lucky, that is the end of all those articles. We just read seven articles together. That is not too shabby. And the next one is Article 41, the letter carrier craft. And oh my God, there is so much good information in there. Can't believe it only took us an hour to get to it. So um, pretty soon, I'm start reading Article 41. I don't know how I'm going to divide it up. I'll probably just read until I get worn out. But that is tomorrow's problem. Today, this podcast is over. <laughs>